Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Each week, we bring you the Dewing Grain market report, giving you up-to-date information and insider advice, followed by Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues while sampling a beer, Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and this week's market report. Welcome to the market report. What follows are my thoughts or gut instincts on what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market report for week commencing 27th of July 2020. Following my pull your socks up message last week, uh, yeah, you have. It's been great. You've been absolutely hossing into the harvest. We have been moving winter malting barley as quickly as we possibly can. There seems to be a nice natural break between the winter barleys and the rapes and what comes next. Um, or that was what my thoughts were until suddenly someone turned up with uh, feed wheat at our Cantley store in July, which is uh, we've already got a couple of hundred tonnes into store and we've got more people cutting today. So wheat harvest has started early. Winter barley is kind of normal time. Rape, arguably marginally early-ish, certainly for Norfolk. But it's all happening and it's very exciting. So it's a good time to be a grain trader. Obviously, it should be a good time to be a grain trader. It's harvest. Anyway, so we'll start with um, a look at the markets. I think we'll start with our favourite, which is malting barley. There isn't that much low nitrogen malting barley around from the winter crop. If you looked at Norfolk and you took the road, the A140, which is the road from Cromer down to Norwich, and then it goes from Norwich down to Ipswich further. But if you take the segment north of Norwich, go to the east of it, and if you look at the A47, which goes Norwich to Yarmouth, or actually if you just follow the River Yare, north of the River Yare, east of the A140, we have got good, very good quality, low nitrogen winter malting barley as a sweeping statement. It's the odd high, high one amongst it. Equally to the west of the A140, there is the odd, and by that I don't mean strange, but the very occasional low nitrogen sample. But predominantly, I'm afraid, that piece of ground has not come up with the goods. It's not been a good summer for, or a good spring and summer for lighter land and land that hasn't got a lot of uh, retention of moisture or whatever. Plus, there's been microclimate issues in, in the very northwestern corner of the county. So, the cream of the crop is the doing grain catchment area of Broadland, which is great. That's why a company like mine can exist. We're in a niche market. And as we listen to the podcast involving Murray Ferguson, I think it's not this week's episode, but the following weeks, he touches on a subject there which was said probably 60 years ago, which still rings true as you look to the future. Our area can produce low nitrogen malting barley in any given year absolutely guaranteed i've never had a year where we haven't produced the goods in this corner sweeping statement and nature will bite me for that no doubt but it is a great time to have a store for malting barley and contract for malting barley that needs that spec and we've got the goods coming in it's been a difficult harvest for movement Um, as we mentioned previously the lack of beer drinking covid19 the whole dynamic changed carryover stocks was always going to be a problem Some of the maltsters are unable to take any tonnage of note at harvest time. They're focusing on perhaps Maris Otter and some of the other varieties are struggling and they've managed to persuade farmers to move it later in the season and rejig their storage, which kind of has knock-on effects to other things they have to price at harvest time. But um, largely we're kind of coping with it. 
my thoughts are where the prices are as low relative to feed and relative to wheat, there's going to have to be something pretty special to encourage people to continue to grow winter malting barley. Uh, We're very conscious that, in our opinion, the sums don't add up at the moment on this year's values. So let's be clear, good winter malting barley growers need rewarding for the risk they take. And we're very conscious of that. And we and no doubt other firms will be looking at ways of ensuring there is a crop out there next season as everybody looks to wheat. Anyway, prices have been pretty static. I mean, good malting barley around 130x farm has been largely what has been traded. Half of the issue is getting it moved. Someone pointed out, you know, I I think if you sold uh, malting barley for sort of November time, you'd get at least £10 more. And someone said, well, you know, you're just making money out of me, aren't you? Buying 130 and selling 140. Yeah, and I'm also paying a store for the pleasure of doing that, and I'm also paying the haulage. So there isn't a lot of gold. If I bought it at 130 and then sold it at 140, I'd make a loss, actually. So by all means, if you're unhappy with that and you're selling your stuff at harvest time, go and build a store. It'll only cost you £200 a tonne, so 20 years you'll pay it off. In the meantime, we have invested and we are doing that job as best we can and we are moving it as quickly as we can considering the speed that harvest occurs at now. And I think the whole trade has managed to, well, skill themselves up to move stuff at the time the farmer wants them to. It's quite hard to do that sometimes. So winter malting barley is shifting. The price is pretty ordinary and it is what it is. If you accept harvest is going to be vaguely glum most of the time this year, you're kind of going to end up with a slightly less depressed state at the end of it, is my view. So, yeah, winter morning barley done. 166 to 180 nitrogens are slightly lower in price. There is a market for those. There will be a need for those later on. Above 1.8 nitrogen is not going to be going into the bin. There is no way that that barley will be going into brewing. So we've had to bite the bullet and say anything above 180 is feed. And I'm afraid that is it. It's pointless trying to pursue the dream that that isn't the case. If you've got a bin somewhere you can shove stuff and hope on it, then possibly there might be a premium for syrup or something later on in the season. But it's a fairly long shot. So in our view, take that decision now. The prospects for the spring barley crop appear to be it's a big crop. I'll move on to that now. The early cuts in the south of England are good. They're good yields, good quality, and I think we're largely going to get that over here. I think the nitrogen levels are going to be reasonable as well because it looks quite healthy. It's certainly going to be the last crop that's cut, so maybe the weather will change and it'll be ruined and everything will turn on its head. But assuming that nature is kind we're going to see a large spring barley crop and quite a large amount of it, we think, is going to be low enough nitrogen to be used. There is one glaringly obvious issue with that crop, and that is the green grains, the second growth. And farmers have the dilemma of, should I spray it off? Should I wait till that bit ripens up a bit more? Either way, those little parcels of sap that you're putting into your heap of grain when you tip it in your shed are like uh, small packets of dynamite. If you haven't got air going through the grain on the floor and you're not moving it very quickly, that is a recipe for disaster. And certainly for a grain store like us, it is a complete nightmare. If I have a very high premium bin of high quality distilling barley under 1.6 nitrogen and I've got 5% of it, 10% of it, 5% of it, green grains, you know, I'm I'm in trouble. 
you know, when you put the sample through the moisture meter, you'll have a variance. The reality is how wet is that sample? Sure, if you pick out the dry ones, it'll be dry. But let's be real, those green ones exist. We can't pick them out and pretend they're not there. And it's like putting little parcels of water into the bin. So please don't come in. Come, well, you have to stand outside the window at the lab now because of COVID-19, you're not allowed in. But the reality is, if you get those green grains assessed for moisture, it's going to massively whack up the moisture content and therefore there's going to be drying charges that weren't expected because you're going to say my moisture meter said it was 14.2 and other such statements. The reality is it's just going to be a complete nightmare, I think, and some fields are worse than others. So you're going to have to be... um, you're going to have to make the decision about when you cut it. Certainly in my experience, waiting and waiting and waiting for the green ones to catch up invariably ruins the front end of the crop, which is where the bulk of the yield is. So there's a happy medium. Ideally, if you've got facilities to to cool it, to dry it, and definitely get lots of air through it, then naturally the sample kind of calms itself down a bit and the moisture dissipates over the whole bulk and it doesn't become such a danger. So if you can do that, it's a great help and it avoids all sorts of misery and everyone can agree what the moisture content is. But um, we're destined to be the... um, yeah, the pantomime villain, if you like. So when we walk on the stage and say, uh, I'm afraid the green grains in here is creating this and we're going to charge you this much to dry it, um, you can readily boo all you like. But the reality is, I don't think you would take that risk for me, so I'm not going to take that for you. It's going to be charges for drying if there is too much green grain in there. So sorry to tell you what you already know, but I might as well say it out loud. Not a great time to be a storekeeper from the popularity perspective. Right, feed barley. It's happening. There's lots of boats in every port moving out of the UK. Fantastic news. The more that goes, the better. The less there is carryover. So, in round figures, 120 X farm will get. That's the price you'll get for feed barley. After harvest, when the doors shut, and obviously there's going to be the period when spring barley's cut, and a number of those samples will fail as well, so there'll be some feed barley around in stock or available for boats at that time. But once the barn doors are shut, I don't see feed barley certainly being as cheap as this again. I think, you know, 120x for harvest, round figures 130x for November. There's no loss in keeping it, so if you can, do that. I think... The reality is a lot of barley needs to move to make space for other crops to come in and that's exactly what we're doing and other firms are doing the same thing and quite often it's a good way to get some money flowing, isn't it? So the feed barley, 120x, is happening and yeah, it's a good healthy two-way trade. Everybody's happy with it. Moving on to wheat. We have seen our first wheat sample. It is a sample of Grafton, which is a fabulous early cut variety. It's 81 kilo weight. It is really good looking stuff. The yield is good, but not exceptional. It's okay. It's a, as much as we could have hoped for in our darkest hour. And the early reports coming from around the country are that the kilo weight is the thing that's bringing the sample up to a decent yield. The reality is it is not a big yield. Winter barleys are 10 to 20% down over what we saw last year, whereas wheats, I think, are obviously down because it was a good year last year. Not a clear enough picture, and people aren't really talking heavily about it, which is an indication to me that they think the yields are not quite acceptable or just average, and they don't kind of like to to say too much about that so they say they haven't looked at the combine monitor which is always a giggle because of course they look at the combine monitor because that's what they bought the combine monitor for uh anyway so (laughs) moving on so yield i think early doors 
we are reasonably pleased with it, but it is not going to be a barn buster. And I think the biggest issue with wheat trading is going to be the barn doors are going to shut. If the stuff is cut dry and there's no storage issues on it, barns will not be as full as normal. They might have a bit more weight than you realise with the good kilo weights, but they won't be full. And that is a psychological thing that gets to farmers. If it's not full, they will automatically think there's a there's not enough around the country. They're not the only people with that problem. And they will naturally not sell any more tonnes. And I think the biggest potential price supporter stroke increaser for you farmers is farmer retention itself. I think you lot are not in that mood to sell it. Which leaves us only with oilseed rape to talk about. 330 harvest value. That's a good harvest value. Prices are up on where we were pre-harvest. Yields are, in some cases, absolutely hideous. No denying it. But there are some four-tonne hectare crops as well, which is good. Certainly the, the areas that have got flea beetle worst are... Well, are they going to plant it next year? There's there's a lot of misery. Rape's already gone in the ground. People have got in very, very early. They looked at the cycle of the flea beetle. They've decided to get going, put it in... And the flea beetle, I think, reaches its peak of excitement somewhere in August. So, yeah, this may be a tactic that uh, lots of people will jump into, bearing in mind last year. So, yeah, let's see. Let's see exactly uh, how many acres go in. We're expecting less. And let's just see where price moves to. Certainly with less tonnage around this coming season, there won't be very much carryover. And, yeah, prices to us, we feel, will continue to remain firm. A number of farmers are opting for storing it and pricing it later. But, you know, harvest at 330 plus a premium on oil is is actually, you know, for some people, especially from a cash flow perspective, uh, appealing enough to go for. So happy harvesting. I hope the sun shines for you. I hope that your harvest is coming in and it's in very good condition and you've got the yield that you want. I hope you're keeping sane and happy with that. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, keep those combines greased and, and good luck to you. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. North Walsham Rugby Minis are getting going again. They will be having a get-together on the 1st of August at the club from 10.30 till 12.30. A barbecue, the bar will be open and there will be fitness and rugby games in pods within each age group following the COVID guidelines. They want to encourage any new families or children to come along who are interested in joining the club from the ages of under the sixes through to under 12s. They will have a registration desk open to new members on the day, so do come along. This summer holidays, North Walsham are also running the rugby summer camps. They will be during August to the start of September. The link is in the show notes if you're interested. And now it's time for Farm Chat. This week, we're hearing the second part of my interview with Murray Ferguson. Claire, Susie and I have discussed this. I didn't want to lose a single word that Murray said. He is inspirational. He is understated. Some of the little lessons and some of the little things he comes out with are absolutely priceless. So we've decided to split his conversations into three parts. You heard the first part last year, which surprised us all. We've had so many reactions to his undercover years. And now we're going to pick up when he was about to become the manager at Beach Farm Hempstead with a view to managing that farm for six months. It was 1954 and somehow he ended up staying in charge there for 58 years and buying the farm next door. Anyway, we pick things up with Murray talking about Dr Gibbs and their working relationship. And your great partner in crime on that farm was, well, is Dr Gibbs, who 
unfortunately, is no longer with us. Mm. But he, he, as a character, was you know, I, I, a phenomenal character. Occasionally, got a bit waspy, but yeah. very humorous. Um, oh yes, he yes. was uh, you know a medical man mm. who happened to have a farm, and he's lucky to have you managing yeah. it. Yeah. But you two, as a double act, I can you know when I when I first started dealing with you, I can remember going around there and and the kind of banter. Well, I, Dr. Mm. Gibbs, you know, just gave me gentle treatment, I would say. Mm. He could have given me a roasting, yeah. but he was funny. Yeah. And um, the way he described his operation and the way you were managing it was just... He just always used to make me laugh all the time. And oh, I, yes. I wish, there's a regret, I wish, you know, we'd been doing the podcast how many years ago that I could yes. have sat down and said, well, I need to capture this man because yes. he would make everybody laugh with his yes, little yes. asides. Yes, quite, yes. So you were managing his farm. Yeah. How did you manage to end up with a neighbouring farm? Um, I bought it. (laughs) (laughs) I think we worked that one out. uh, But you obviously then decided to be here. You that right, this is the place I'm going to put my Oh, yes, yes. Yes, I I met met Julia, Mm -hmm. my wife. She was, Jack Pestle was the farm next door to Beach Farm. Mm -hmm. And he kept a very good eye on him, on me. Mm-hmm. And uh, the farm was absolutely infested with wild oats. In fact, on the big field at the back of the farmhouse, when we were cutting it with a binder, we set the binder knotter or the thing for for the wild oats, and the barley happened to be <laughs> to be in the bottom. <laughs> I mean, it really was quite. I mean, if you hadn't known, you'd have mistaken the field for a field of oats. So, what, what, I mean, that, there's a question. In those days, how did you get rid of the oats? By hand. So you like meticulously, we, year after year, because, you know, one year's seeding, 20 years yes. weeding or whatever it is. Well, had Avidex not arrived, mm-hmm. um, God knows what would have happened. Something would have happened That was by the now. 70s, was it? Avidex? Yes, yes, but uh, just a quick foray into the Avidex Paddy Allen, who was worked for Boots, who in, in those days actually produced MCPA and MCPB and that sort of thing, he came on the farm and said, Murray, we've got something to play with on the um, wild oat front. Would you like to have a go? And I said, yes, of course, because you know, Beach Farm was renowned in the district for its wild oats. <laughs> so we, he had four bottles I suppose they're about two-gallon bottles of this stuff. And we went into the... We had an old ransom sprayer, and we filled it up, and we did 100 yards we had of each bottle. Ah, OK. And uh, 12... 10-metre t- boom, boom, little... little toss, by modern standards, a little tiny sprayer. Mm. And we sprayed four strips with a metre or a couple of yards, let's use... Imperial, a couple of yards between each trip, and uh, put the barley in. And uh, when there is, well, when you watched it, and I mean, it was totally clear strip of barley, not a wild oat in sight, and uh, the whole surrounding field was barley covered in oats. oats. Yeah. And uh, I knew then that the, the uh, wild oat was. Temporarily vanquished. Yeah, but, we, but yeah. that means a whole crop not coming up and putting seeds onto ne- onto the ground again yeah. and again yeah. and again. Yes. And everyone told me you'd have to use it for eight or nine years before you cleared all the seed. Um, they were approximately right, 
But we still kept on ploughing up wild oats for the next 15 years, mm. ever diminishing because you could stop them yeah. and all sorts of other things came in. Now, I mean, wild oats are... There are a few about this year because it's been such a funny year for spraying. There's but, been a late flush of... I mean, the, the chemicals are beginning to diminish, disappear. You're allowed to use less and less yes. chemical, which is a good thing if there is damage being done and, and none of us are scientists yes. enough to, to make a qualified statement on that. But it's going to make farming more difficult. I mean, farming out of a can has gone. Yes, yes, it has. It's, I wouldn't dare go organic farming but mm. i don't think long term it'll work but that would be through experience wouldn't it that would be through the wild oat experience that yes. you had yeah yes but um on the other hand this this rumpus we've been having about the uh neonicotinicides mm. and that losing it on sugar my worry is i mean people don't realize how immensely complicated the soil is mm. what is living in it Mm -hmm. and making it active soil. When you use a thing like that, okay, it kills your eelworm and your... Flea beetle. That sort of mm. in rape flea beetle. Mm. But what else is it killing? Mm. And unintended consequences are vitally important in this life, and they're totally ignored. So the fact that that has been banned, we're going to see hopefully some benefits coming in soil health in or you know, various organisms yes. thriving again that may bring yields back up or something that we've, we've missed. Something we've missed. At yeah. the same time, you know, in a simplistic form, in the Ukraine, they're allowed to use neonics. So mm. they, they yeah. duly, you know, put on the seed and spray the fields or whatever they do. Yeah. And yeah. then they have a small surplus of it and they sell the surplus to the UK, yeah. which undermines the UK's price, which is where it boils back down to you need government... Mm. Yes, yeah. Uh, strategy to actually give us a fighting chance because you can't compete with that as a no. farmer if it's been banned and you can't grow the crop no. anymore or you can grow it but the yield is significantly lower. Yes. Your government needs to support you. Yes, yeah. And yes. You know, we, over the years, your, your, what's your experience of government support? Because you would have seen it come from being very poor in the 60s to you know the cap and, and European Maybe membership. Yes. Yeah. What's your thoughts on that period? Well, the, before, when we had the support system, when you were selling wheat, they kept on... I think it went month by month with the amount of payment you would get, depending on the, how much you had got for your wheat. Mm -hmm. And the fun in those days was to try to beat the office, the government. If you sell your wheat at the very end, when the price happened to have gone up above the average level... Mm -hmm. you'll get an extra 10 bob, <laughs> 10 bob a ton, in the theory. So you were... So you were paid by the government for keeping it longer? Or you were paid by no, the government... No, the price for... is always fluctuating, as it is now. So they, did they try, try and create an average? Is that what they did? Yes. Okay, so yeah, if you sold it above the average, then... If you sold it above the average... You wouldn't get any money from them? You, yes, you would. You would get the, the money for the average... Okay. Plus the little bit you're beating the average by. Okay. It's a, it's a complicated system. It's quite fun. <laughs> Win some, lose some. You so know? anyone with a store, a decent store, would have probably been the winner in that scenario. Yes. Um, decent store was in those days were pretty thin. 
we thrashed our last stack, which there was a photograph up there, in 1960. Mm -hmm. An awful lot of wheat was in stacks, infested with rats, mm -hmm. you know, in those days. Uh, well, my father had a small holding, and he he still had stacks when I was a, a young boy, so I can remember a stack. Yeah. I was very young. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, well, I'll tell, I'll tell a quick... I, I'm prone to telling stories on these podcasts, so I'll tell a quick story about my elder brother, who, at the age of uh, two, my dad was topping up off mm. the stack uh, with, with Hoskins, who was a chap who used to do his combining, and uh, and my my brother, who's apt for climbing things whenever he could, mm. he was a real sort of yeah. monkey at that, climbs to the top, and my dad spots him on the top of this tall stack on a, on a ladder, and he goes, you can't come up here and, unless you're a man, yeah. David. Get, you know, down you go, and I sort of carry him down safely. Yeah. Anyway, the next morning he went out there and that uh, was up on there doing whatever he was doing and there was David at the top of the ladder and he said, I'm a man today. <laughs> and his nickname was Le Mans, which is the man in the French. Man, it was yes. Le Mans. And, uh, yeah, that's, it's, it, but it was a stack and uh, yes. we were a little slower at most in getting out of that. Yeah, that's great. Very, very nice do you miss Do you miss having a stack? There was a lot of camaraderie about farming in those days. Mm. And uh, people were specific. Some people couldn't build a stack to save their lives. <laughs> after, you know, after a week or two, it'd be on, completely on the sosh with yeah. various props <laughs> holding it up. <laughs> Other people sorted it with absolutely no trouble. In it. Yeah. And uh, then, of course, they had to be thatched. Yeah. If you're going to keep them right through. But that was a skill, wasn't it? The whole thing was an enormous skill, mm. which has totally vanished now. Well, so, it's, it's, well, it's it. changed. The whole, I mean, the farming nowadays um, bears absolutely no relation to when I started. No. It's, it's a different world. Well, the, the, the camaraderie isn't likely because there's someone doing, you know, six no. farms worth of work on their own, isn't no, there? No, that's right, yes. And yes, infrastructure so. of a rural economy is there's no longer a bloke mending tractors in every third no, village no. because he wouldn't have the kit to do it anyway, no, would no, he? No, no. But, I mean, Julia used to help on the farm, you know, from quite a small kid. And, uh, so she was. She was a farmer's daughter. She is a farmer's daughter, very mm. much. Yes, farming family. And also a teacher. Is that right? Teacher. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And a very, very good teacher. Very too. useful to a village. Oh yes, yes. She went. She, she ended up doing supply teaching, going around several villages, thoroughly mm. enjoying it. But they, when a horse needed showing, they used to go, go to East Ruston. There was a blacksmith near the church. And Julia would be plonked onto this horse, said, off you go. <laughs> and there she would go, she would go sitting on this shy horse, who knew exactly where it was going, with her sitting on top. <laughs> They'd shoe the other thing, and she'd plonk back on it, home you go, and the other <laughs> horse would plod back home. Ah, I see. They, they think they can do things with the computers now that the horse could do the horse, the half horse a century ago. where it was going. <laughs> <laughs> you tell youngsters that today? No, no, no. Lord, no, no. You, you really ought to talk to her about that because she, uh, you know, she, she, she knows a lot about the early farming and the general wildlife. But I can't imagine that happening nowadays. No. So when we came out of the support system, went into CAP, I mean, that was a kind of, it, with the benefit of hindsight, the 70s was a kind of bonanza, really, wasn't it? It was unbelievable, really, yeah. that um, farming was getting 
dished out such vast amounts of money. I mean, it was almost up to well, about 30, 35% of the European budget Absolutely. on farming, thanks to the French. Mm -hmm. But um, no, it was, it was ludicrous, really. Well, we've we've managed to have a generation's worth of forgetting about that, haven't we? So, yes. even farmers were voting for Brexit for some reason. Yes. But looking looking back, I've been fortunate enough to find farming. It's been very interesting in the agricultural point of view. The amount of changes has been. Also, it's been a golden time in farming. For cash, thanks to the EU. Mm. What will happen now? I shan't be allowed to see too much of it, but I very much doubt if they're going to have such an easy time we've had. You don't think the trade deal with America that's coming will be helpful then? I should be very surprised if it is. Let's leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> so back in the day, obviously, when you had a sample of barley, because this is land that grows mm. very good malting barley yeah. and you know good, decent yields of mm. wheat. It's lovely, yeah. lovely land. Yeah. And again, you are, what, one mile from the beach? No, the farm runs right down to the beach. Yeah, but the, physically the house here is a mile. Well, and it's about, the, yeah. a quarter, about a quarter of a mile, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So you get unique weather. Oh, absolutely, yes, yeah. Yeah, I mean... It's to totally different. Is it going to be dry today here? Looks, um, it looks like yes, it is. Yes, I think it would be. Oh, the old boys were pretty shrewd. I mean, if you asked the lads who live here... They were pretty accurate, and they could say they could look down south and the storm. That's that storm is going to split and it's going to go out over the sea. Well, mud, the river mud, does that, mud, doesn't it? Mudhole Barton, they used to call it. Right. Yeah, yeah. And the, the, and the, all the it'll go to North Walsham. Mudhole. Uh, you talk about Barton Turf. Yeah. Mudhole Barton. Barton Broad. Yeah. That's the mud hole. That's mud hole barton, <laughs> or used to be up by the old boys up here. And so that that will divide a cloud above it. That will split, send something one Funnily direction. Enough, in those days, it used to. Hmm. The weather, though, has changed. It still does up to a point. But the weather is startlingly different to when I first came to Norfolk. It comes in chunks now. <laughs> it certainly does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the chunk from October to March was quite telling this year. It just never stopped raining. That was very, very interesting. <laughs> interesting. <Yeah. laughs> I love when people use the phrases interesting or challenging. It, it means other <laughs> It does things. indeed, yes. You're not going to go combining today. You haven't quite got ripe with your... Oh, no. No, no. no. we're always late. Hmm. I mean, the other side of Norwich is often finished before we even... Hardly started. We've, we've got someone starting at... Our, the chairman of Alsham Grain, Bob Clavin, says he was going to start today at Slowly, which is near uh, North Orsham Rugby Club ground, yeah, if anyone yeah. knows that. And um, that's kind of inland enough to be warm enough, dry enough, and he wants yes. to try his new combine out, I think. Mm. Yes. Well, that's a good reason to start. So yes. we'll, we'll know a little bit more about what's coming by yeah. this afternoon when his trailers start coming yes. in, and we're quite looking yes. forward to that. But all, all I call... While he was alive, was sold by Harry, sold to Harry Burton. This is the, a merchant in Stalham. Yep, who was a genius with malting barley. Yeah, and uh, he would take a sample down to it and he would look at it and grind, with a grain cutter cut them in half. Mm -hmm. You remember those? I own a pair. Yes, yes, yes. My proudest possession is my barley cutters. Yes, absolutely. And he would say, "No, not fit. Yeah, leave it another week." Mm. He was always right. <laughs> but he could sell any barley. And when I bought 
this farm. I was talking to him one day and he said, well, you bought a farm which always grows malting barley and uh, if necessary, if farming goes funny, you can put the whole farm down to barley year after year until things get right again. Do you know what? There's a lesson in that. This, as we come up to the, the near future with Brexit and the yeah. potential of not being able to export a surplus yeah. and the farming community across the board looking at wheat, wheat, wheat because yeah. there's a price that I can make money yeah. at and the fallow land and all of the troubles that yeah. people had last yeah. year. You know, malting barley is going to be forgotten next year and most farms in the UK can't absolutely guarantee to produce a malting barley sample. Yeah, yeah. So the, the wise words of Harry Burton still ring true. And so yes, yeah. some of you Norfolk listeners, you know, bear this one out. If you're not going to sell your wheat forward at the prices that's mm. there, look very hard at putting barley in because yeah. I think there will be a reward for you in, in the uh, in yeah. 2021 harvest. Yeah, yeah. You know, yes, yes. so I mean, in those days, there were so many merchants though, weren't there? That was the oh, other. gosh, yes, yes, yes. We inundated with them. <laughs> Well, Harry had a pretty good monopoly around here. Mm. He was a very, very clever well, And his, his, his son, um, Mickey Burton, yes. who in my, my youth uh, was around, He's, he was a colourful yes. character. Yes, he was. <laughs> yes, yes, the colourful family. <laughs> Indeed, no, he was, but uh, yeah, his, his, his language was especially colourful yes, yes, at quite. times. But, but you know, th- those merchants disappeared and you know in my time my first job was with Dalgetty Mm -hmm. who were the great terrible company who were monopolizing I was told by um, a number of farmers but predominantly David Ritchie made a speech to me once about Mm -hmm. it and um, an ECF was the only true course history dictates that well, relative to modern Mm -hmm. agriculture Dalgetty's wasn't that big I mean the the company in charge now is is enormous um, which is which is the way it's going. Do you think we will end up with, well, I suppose, next to no merchants? I guess the trend is still occurring, isn't it? Yes, I think there'll be fewer and fewer. Mm. And I think it's very good that doing grain... Oh, this is a good plug. ...is, is independent. And I, I shall I pay you the money now for that comment? <laughs> that was that, <laughs> no, no, that no. big card I held up. <laughs> come, come, when I can go into the office, I have another cup, cup of coffee. <laughs> That seems an excellent point to pause things for this week. I mean, when someone's saying how good doing grain is, you have to just rub it in, don't you? And I'll probably bring that in again next week just for the fun of it. But, um, yeah, listening to Murray is a great lesson in life. So please keep listening. Next week we'll have the final part, which is absolutely priceless. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they're released. Dew and Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, we can supply you with the best strategies to help you achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Call now on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewandgrain.co.uk or follow us on Twitter. We are at dewandgrain. The Dewing Grain Podcast is produced by Tinshed Productions in conjunction with East Coast Design Studio. 